0: Have you ever felt such deep emotion or something so deeply that you just felt compelled or you just had to do something? You had to say something, you had to act in some way. Now, I'm not talking about driving on Highway 20, you know, when the guy cuts you off, you know, because I felt that, confessing that. I've wanted to act. I'm talking about something that God lights up in you, that there's something in, in your soul that you just feel like, I have got to say something. I've got to do something. I've got to be a part of this. I wonder about that. And it can be in small ways or big ways. I can, I can give you an example. Just a couple weeks ago, I was actually uh, with my daughter. She was having a concert uh, at, at her college, and, and all, all these different ensembles were performing. And the choir came up and performed uh, a song called, Please Stay. Please stay. And for whatever reason, it's like something lit up in me, and I just got really emotional. And that song spoke to me in, in so many ways. And, and I was thinking about why. What was the deal? I felt like I needed to say something to, to the director. The song was actually about the whole idea of suicide. And uh, it was called Please Stay. And it brought up these amazing themes. And I think part of the reason why is, is that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I had read an article not long ago that, that the CDC has said that the suicide rate in, in America is about the same over the last 30 or 40 years. But in this one particular age group, it, it's amongst young millennials, young adults. It's exploded. And so I just thought, wow, we've got to talk about this. This is so important, and I went up to the director, I said, thank you for bringing this to, to us. And he said, you know, yeah, we never talked about this when I was growing up, we need to talk about this. So I felt compelled. Or I think about this, uh, a friend of mine, he, he was a gentleman who um, went to a place kinda like Haiti or Mozambique, it was it was a different spot, but it was like that to one of our partners overseas, and he had a friend with him and he said, hey, I want you to go to this house and uh, come with me and, and I want you to introduce you to this family. And he goes into this house and it was a structure uh, that was maybe maybe 900 square feet, he said. And it had three different rooms and inside the house there were a hundred children being cared for by this couple. They came from the streets, they came from different places and so this friend of mine, he was so compelled, he, he went home and he sold his boat and he took the money from the proceeds of that boat and then what it cost to maintain the boat and he invested it with a few friends and they, they built a place, an orphanage, where, where kids could come. And now there's over 400 uh, kids that are being helped. When is the last time you felt like God lit up something in you? When I think about this series, we're talking about this idea of blessing a broken world. How can I, how can I come and can bring this life, this life of Jesus, this, this good life that he, he wants to give me and, and he wants to share with others, how can I go where I live, work, and play and, and bring that life to others? I think this series is really about our motivation. What's compelling us? And so I want to read from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, because I think Paul's motivation is clear. He's the one who's experienced the love of God in such a deep and transforming way. And he says, Look, I've experienced this, I've been blessed. And now the love of God now is compelling me. He says it this way for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How can I be a person who receives this sort of love of God and knows this love of God and then takes that to where I live, work, and play? So today I want to focus primarily on where you live. How can you and I be a blessing where we live? The reason is we all, whether we're single or married, we're all part of families. And we all are connected to a family, either a a nuclear family or even our extended family. We are part of that. And we, compelled by the love of God, can be an influence where we can bless those in in our midst. And so in order to do that, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you on sort of a, 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 a of a, a big picture view of the Bible, okay? I've joked for years at saying, people ask, what are you preaching on? Well, I'm gonna preach from Genesis to Revelation. Well, today I'm actually doing it, okay? I'm gonna take you through the Bible, just really quickly, because here's the deal. God redeems the whole world through a family. He is creating a family, and I, wanna, I want you to see this connection. So I'm starting in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to a person, his name is Abram, and he says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, I want you to notice that, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's the deal. God comes to this guy, he encounters Abram, he, he enters into his life, And he says, Abram, I want you to walk away from these false gods. I want want you to walk away from your family and I really want you to trust me, ultimately. Because I want to do something great in you. That's amazing. But that's what God does. He asks for our loyalty. He says, I don't want you to trust me. Well, so then you read in chapter 17. So some time has passed. This is what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, Abram still, he and his wife are still childless at this point. Now, he's had a, a son out of wedlock with, or out of marriage, but he's, he's still childless with his wife. And God comes to him and says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In other words, I want you to enter into this journey of faith. I want you to walk with me. And I want you to do it in a blameless way, wholeheartedly. I want you to just trust me, Abram. Now, I know what I would have done, but it says in the next verse, Abram fell face down. In other words, he surrendered. He said, okay, God, I'll trust you. I'm old. I have no idea what you have in store, but I will trust you. And God said to him, as for me this is my covenant with you so he enters into a covenant a promise and he says to abram i want to make a promise with you and when god makes a promise he never goes back on his deal he's making a binding agreement with abram so you will be the father of many nations no longer will you be called abram your name will be abraham for i have made you a father of many nations i will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So he makes his promise to say, hey, I want to bless you. I want to make you into a, a great nation, and through you, I want you to bless the nations. Now, Abraham, again, didn't have a child. Let alone a family. So, okay, God, okay, I'll trust you. And sure enough, down the road, he finally has a child. But then, what does God do? He says, "I want you to sacrifice that child." And then God provides, and and ultimately, it was through his son, Isaac, that Isaac proliferated. I mean, he had lots of children, and they became the nation of Israel. And it's this sort of call, this Old Testament, the whole story of the Old Testament is, is this family, this nation called Israel and God's love affair with them and his covenant with them. And then something changes dramatically, and I want you to turn to the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. It's Matthew chapter 1. Now, nobody reads Matthew chapter 1. You know why? Because there's just a whole list of names. And you're going, what is this all about? Well, I'll tell you what it's all about. In in Matthew chapter one, verse one, it says this: This is the genealogy, the family history of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Okay, so there's this connection. God said, "I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I want to make you into a great family, a great nation, and I want to use you to bless others." And so in Matthew chapter 1, we see this connection. And there's 14 generations between Abraham and King David. And then there's 14 more generations between King David and the exile. And then there's 14 generations between the exile and the birth of Jesus. And then you get to John chapter 1. Because in John chapter 1, he's saying, look, the head of the family has come to earth and it's changed things. And the head of the family wants all people to be a part of this family. And he says these words in John chapter 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, Jesus came to bring us in, for those of us who have received him, to become children Sons and daughters of the king, of the one. God redeems. And then you ultimately go to Revelation chapter 7. And I want to read just a verse there. This is a vision of what heaven is going to look like. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, all people, Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches. In the loud cry, they said, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Well, because of this. Because God uses a family, His family, to shape and form the next generations. I don't know if you ever thought about it, that your influence is not only within your household, but it is for the next generations. The generations to come, down to the the second and third and fourth generation. You can have an influence. In fact, that's the picture of the Bible and what Abraham experienced. There's a person by the name of uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is uh, considered by many to be the greatest theologian that uh, has ever been produced on American soil. He's a great thinker, and he lived in the 1700s. And there was an educator named by the name of A. E. Winship who decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards 150 years after, his, after he lived. So he looked at the next four generations of the Edwards genealogy, or clan, And Edwards' legacy includes this, one U.S. vice president, one dean of law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. Can you believe that? Can you imagine the legacy? You ever thought about that? That your legacy is not just for here and for now, but it's for the generations to come? That the life that you're living right now can impact those generations? That's amazing to think about. Now, how can this be explained? I love this. He was a godly man, but he was also hardworking, intelligent, and moral. And then he goes on to say, "Much of the capacity and talent, intensity and character of the more than fourteen hundred of Edwards' family is due to Mrs. Edwards." We all knew that, right? It's because of her and their partnership together, and their influence with their children, and their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren. You wanna bless the world? How about you be a blessing in your family? How about you start there? And what compels you? I hope it's the love you've experienced and know from Jesus. And that it compels you to be that kind of influence in your home, with your spouse, with your children, with your extended family. God blesses us so that we can bless others. Now, I know you're saying, man, you haven't been a part of my family, right? That's true. But God kind of understands family dynamics. And so what has God been up to with this crazy family, his family? What does he do? Well, God blesses my family and the world and his family through repeated and demonstrated love and faithfulness. In fact, I landed in, verse, uh, in, in 1 John These verses, I'd encourage you to go back and read 1 John 4. But 1 John 4 verse 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest. In other words, it was demonstrated over and over and over again. It was was real, it was made real. God's love was made real through the person of Jesus. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Or the most famous verse in the Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God then did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So through God's love and God's faithfulness, even in the midst where where his family, his people were rebelling, he remained faithful. He continued to demonstrate love a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was um, at Friends First, which is our high school ministry in uh, Grundy, Grundy County, and uh, Angie Deacon was sharing her, her story with the kids, and I don't know if you know Andy and, or Angie and Randy, they, they've been a part of our church for a while, and uh, Randy's on our board, and just an incredible family. Danae, their daughter, is actually helping lead Friends First. And they have other kids, and they're all just super kids, a great, unbelievable family. But I, I had never heard Angie's story, and it blew my mind. She grew up in a, in a poor farm family, kind of outside of Dyke and other parts. They'd kind of wandered around because they didn't have money, and uh, they'd get kicked out of one place and have to move on. But one of the things she was talking about is that she, she grew up, she had seven other siblings in, in her family, or their total of seven, I should say. And uh, they were made to work. They were working on the farm, and so they'd get up before school at five in the morning. They'd go out and help milk cows, and she was telling me a story that even as a little child, she'd be out there until the bus came. And when the bus came, they all ran to the bus, and everybody scattered because nobody wanted to be around the stinky family that had been working in order to go to school. And she tells a story that she went to school and she was actually chastised by a teacher who didn't obviously understand the situation, but was saying, why don't you brush your hair? Why don't you brush your teeth? And Angie said, you know, if if I would have one of those, I would probably do that. And every day, she was beaten. And she was abused in every kind of way by her father. Her dad was absolutely evil was amazing for her to share this story. And she was afraid. In fact, the girls were afraid to be at home with her dad. So you can imagine. You know what happened? You know what changed her? There was a pastor who came onto their yard and came up and said to her dad, can I take your children to Sunday school? You know what his answer was? No, absolutely not. I'm going to hell and I don't care and I don't care about my kids. You cannot. Well, what did the pastor do? He kept showing up. Week after week. i got to give him credit. It's amazing. He demonstrated love and faithfulness. He persevered. They came back again and finally her father relented and said, if they get done with their chores, she can go. And that's where she first heard about this Jesus, this God who loved her. And then she said, she said, you know what? I began praying and I I was like, God, if you're out there, would you take away my dad? Can you imagine growing up like that? But then she said something powerful to these kids and to me. I'm I'm like crying in the background. You don't have to be like that. You can change. There is hope. And it was kindness of people, the kindness and love of others who are demonstrating the love of God to Angie and to the siblings. And today, all of the siblings gather together and there's more than 50 of them. And she says, you know, there's more than 50 of them and 45 are really great. (laughs) We're still working on those others. But they love Jesus. Why? Because there were a few people who did what God does who demonstrated love, who demonstrated faithfulness, who said, you can change, you can do something. I want to walk alongside you. You can break the cycle. There is hope. Let me just leave you with this thought. God loves you. And he has demonstrated his love for you in the person of Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And through his love and his blessing, he wants you to bless those around you, particularly your home, because of the influences so great. God has blessed us to be a blessing to the world 1 John 4, 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Is your home a place where people experience love and the love of God? Is your home a place where people feel safe? Come and experience that and know. I want to just uh, close out with just some simple steps that my wife and I I want to share with you. We kind of collaborated and said, what, what would we want to say? These are some things that we've tried to do. I wouldn't say we do them perfectly. We just have tried some things, okay? How can we be a blessing to our home and our family and maybe extend that to others? And the first thing we decided was we can pray. To be honest with you, you know, all of our kids are now gone. It's, it's really kind of weird, I mean, we can't do much else besides pray. I mean, we've lost that sort of period in life where we have direct influence with our children. It's gone. I'm like, where did it happen? (laughs) It's nuts. But I would say to you that my wife has been much more faithful about this whole idea of praying for our children. But I would say in the last year or year and a half, it has become evident to me too. I need to pray for my kids. I need to bring them before the Father. I need to pray for them and, and uphold them in that way. It's one way I can stay connected to them. And it's a powerful thing. In fact, I know that, that Giselle, even in the piranha years, that's what I call it when were, the kids were little and kind of nipping at her In the piranha years, she would try to do some things, she would create a, sort of I would say disciplines. She would figure out ways to pray for them, maybe when she was feeding them or changing a diaper. And then she would journal about that. I mean, i got to give her a whole lot more credit. She figured out ways to bless them by praying for them. Now, the second thing that that I have had to learn and uh, I'm growing in is to celebrate and affirm my own children. I don't know if you know the strengths finders. Uh, you know, a lot of people have done that around here. One of my top strengths is, is Maximizer. So I am always looking for ways to be, to be better, to be more efficient. You know, it's like finding these, you know what that does for me? It puts incredible expectations on me and others. And I've had to go tone it down. And unfortunately, I pass it on to my children sometimes particularly with the the whole idea of sports. Dads, listen to me. I've expected more out of them than what they wanted to do, and so I've put unrealistic expectations on them. Why? Because I wanted to be great. And I don't think I celebrated and affirmed them enough for who they were as young children because I wanted them to be great at sports. I'm learning. I'm learning how to celebrate and affirm them for who God made. I have incredible kids. You have incredible kids. And they're special. And they need to know that we are their biggest fans. Grandparents, they need to know, your grandkids, are you, you are their biggest fans. Then another thing i think we can do to celebrate and to bless is to simply share meals now this is something my wife and i decided upon very early on in our marriage we said you know what we know we're gonna be busy and there's gonna be life that's happening but we are going to try to have at least one meal a day together one meal a day together with the tv off with our devices somewhere else there's no devices at the table and we actually have a conversation. Now, that's a rare thing sometimes, isn't it? It's really hard to do. But I would say this it is, it is one of the most important things that we've learned how to do as a family. Why? Because, you know, most days it's just like, well, we've got to go here and we've got to go there and we've got to do this. And okay, let's just get our calendar all together and we just eat together quick. But there's times in which you actually hear things, you say, wow. Or you talk about things and you go, wow, that was more than just about the weather. Spiritual conversation. An opportunity to hear hurt or disappointment or frustration. And then what we've done over this last year is like, we've said, hey, said to Cameron in particular, hey, bring your friends. And our friends have taken Taking them up on it. I mean, I can't believe our grocery bill over the last year. And I was glad to see Cameron go. I mean, it was like, <laughs> get out of here. But guys would come. And these senior boys, they know how to eat, man. But it was great. And we got to know them. We got to encourage them. In fact, I would say that's something that's been true in our family. Our kids would often say, hey, who are we having over tonight? Who are we having over tonight? You know, on the weekends and... Because we just made it a point. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to invite people in to have meals together. And then I would say the last thing is this. Open your home. Open your home to others. Now, in our family, in our kind of, it's a rule, you know, once you've been to our house one time, it's like, you're on your own. Help yourself. And I don't mean that to be sort of gruff. I mean that we want you here. We treat you as family. And our family... You know, I'm not your mama. I, help yourself. It's okay. It's yours. I want you to feel like you belong. And some of these, these guys, these friends of Cameron, they definitely felt like they belonged. In fact, I remember having a conversation thinking, well, it's a good thing I got clothes on right now. And a good thing my wife has clothes on because they would just show up. And I know some of you have taken this to a whole new level. You've, you've opened your home to foster care. foster children you've opened your home to your neighborhoods it's a beautiful thing you want to bless a broken world just say this is a safe place this is a safe zone you can come in that would be a blessing to your neighbors to your friends to the friends of your children God wants and he is building a family this family. And we who have encountered Jesus are his sons and his daughters. And he says to us, Look, there's room for more. We've made enough. We have enough. Can we be the people of God that say, I can bless? I've received so much from Jesus. I can bless my home so that it can be a blessing. For others. Let's pray. God, I do thank you that you are creating this great family, this family that extends to every tribe and every nation, to every people. And God, I think about that and I think about the influence that we can have in our own homes and the opportunity that we have to bless our children, our spouses and our kids' kids, and generation after generation. God, I pray for those who are maybe struggling in their home today. Would you give them hope? Would you help them to know that you are with them? That you are for them? That you want to help them in the midst of this trial and and struggle? And God, may we be the kind of people who demonstrate love, and faithfulness to those around us. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.